0: Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, November 13th. In today's news, testimony in Roger Stone's trial raises questions about whether President Trump perjured himself. The Supreme Court sounds ready to get rid of DACA. And at least seven are dead, including five kids after a car bomb explodes in Afghanistan. But first, the big idea. Lev Parnas, the Rudy Giuliani associate who's been indicted, says that he discussed Ukraine with the president himself during an exclusive donor dinner at Trump's Washington Hotel. Parnas has described to associates that he and his business partner, Igor Fruman, told Trump at the dinner that... That they thought the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine was unfriendly to the president and his interests. According to Parnas, the president reacted strongly to the news. Trump immediately suggested that the then-ambassador, Marie Ivanovich, who had been in the Foreign Service for 32 years and served under Democratic and Republican presidents, should be fired. Parnas's account of personally discussing Ukraine with Trump more than 18 months ago suggests that he and Freeman had more personal interaction with the president and potentially more influence over his views on that country than the White House acknowledges. Parnas' account of the 2018 dinner is the first indication that he or Fruman interacted directly with Trump about Ukraine. His description of their conversation suggests that the Boca Raton businessman, who emigrated as a child from Ukraine, could hold key information about Trump's pressure campaign on his home country, an effort that set in motion the impeachment inquiry. Meanwhile, aides at the White House this morning are urging Trump not to fire acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney. Senior advisors are telling Trump that removing Mulvaney right now at such a sensitive time could be perilous, both because Mulvaney played an integral role in the decision to freeze the aid and because of the disruption that would be caused by replacing someone so senior. Mulvaney, trying to make sure he doesn't get fired, called off plans yesterday to file a lawsuit asking federal courts to rule on whether he needs to comply with a House subpoena to testify in the impeachment inquiry. Instead, he announced he will follow the president's categorical directive, barring aides from participating in the inquiry, even if it means being held in contempt for ignoring legitimate and valid subpoenas. The big story today is, of course, the impeachment hearing, the first televised hearing We're going to see acting ambassador to Ukraine, Bill Taylor, speak publicly for the first time about the efforts he observed to pressure Kiev to launch investigations into Joe and Hunter Biden. Here's what you need to know about Taylor. He served in the 101st Airborne Division during Vietnam and for a year commanded 20 to 30 men in a rifle platoon on the front lines in the jungle. After a year, Taylor was eligible to return home to the United States. Instead, he signed up to stay another six months in combat. He was promoted to captain and became commander of Alpha Company. He was awarded the Bronze Star. He left the service in 1975 and went to work in senior positions at the newly created Department of Energy, and then as a top foreign policy advisor to Bill Bradley. In the 1990s, Taylor oversaw all U.S. assistance to Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union in the years immediately following the fall of the Iron Curtain. Then he spent a few years working in Afghanistan, Iraq, and on the Middle East peace process, in 2006, he returned to Eastern Europe as the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, appointed by George W. Bush. He came out of retirement from government service after Trump ordered the recall of Yovanovitch. Taylor, as well as George Kent, another State Department official, will be in the hot seat today. Then Yovanovitch comes to the Capitol on Friday. And last night, Democrats announced that they've confirmed eight more witnesses for testimony next week. On Tuesday, we'll hear from Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the European Affairs Director on the National Security Council, as well as Kurt Volker, the former Special Envoy to Ukraine, and Jennifer Williams, a National Security Aide to Mike Pence, who was on the July 25th call, as well as Timothy Morrison, the former Senior Director for Russian Affairs at the NSC. Then next Wednesday, we're going to hear from Gordon Sundland. He's the mega donor to Trump, who got an ambassadorship to the European Union. Also testifying Wednesday will be Laura Cooper, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Russia and Ukraine, and David Hale, the State Department's Undersecretary for Political Affairs. And then next Thursday will be big. That's Fiona Hill, the former top Russia advisor on the NSC. So lots of impeachment hearings to come over the next week. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that are important and should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, Trump perjured himself in his answers to former special counsel Bob Mueller? Roger Stone's trial has shown that the self-proclaimed dirty trickster was the linchpin of a months-long effort by Trump's 2016 campaign to discover damaging dirt on Hillary Clinton to be released by WikiLeaks. And efforts began before the hack of Democratic emails was ever known to the public, months before. Someone's not telling the truth about what the president knew and when he knew it. Testimony over four days that ended yesterday afternoon revealed hands-on engagement by Trump himself and top aides in making use of Stone's claims that he knew emails detrimental to Clinton's campaign would be released by WikiLeaks. The trial in federal court in Washington turns on accusations that Stone lied to Congress about his attempts to learn more about what WikiLeaks would publish and when it would do so. But the testimony, perhaps more importantly, has raised a series of questions about the president's written assertions under oath in the Mueller probe. Trump said in his sworn statement that he had no recollection at all of being aware at any time of any communications between Stone and WikiLeaks, and he said he didn't recall any conversations about WikiLeaks between Stone and members of his own campaign. Rick Gates, who served as the number two on the Trump campaign, the deputy campaign chairman, testified yesterday in court that Stone began discussing Clinton leaks with the campaign in April 2016, and that from May onward, Gates understood Stone to be the campaign's intermediary with WikiLeaks. By July 2016, Gates, who took a plea deal with the government to minimize his prison sentence, says that Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, his former boss, said he was updating Trump regularly on what Stone was saying about WikiLeaks and Gates testified. Manafort directed him to keep following up with Stone so that he could collect information to be passed along to Trump. After Trump ended a phone call with Stone at the end of that month, July 2016, Gates was sitting next to him in the car and testified yesterday that the future president told him that Roger said, quote, more information would be coming. Again, Trump has claimed he didn't know anything about it. U.S. authorities concluded that those emails published by WikiLeaks were hacked by Russian military intelligence units. After WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange said that July in 2016 that he had more Clinton emails coming soon, Gates said Manafort told him to get in touch with Stone about future releases. He said Manafort wanted to update Trump about the WikiLeaks plans. Closing arguments in the Stone trial are scheduled for this afternoon. Number two, The Supreme Court sounds ready to let the president get rid of legal protections for some 700,000 dreamers. In fact, the Trump administration's solicitor general told the high court during oral arguments yesterday that the program shielding young undocumented immigrants brought to the United States as children should end regardless of its legality, and the court's dominant conservative justices showed no inclination to disagree. It's one of the court's most important cases this term. The courts for liberal justices indicated that they don't think the administration met requirements for ending a program that will have such dire consequences for the immigrants themselves and for our economy. But they didn't appear to find any support from the court's conservatives, who reserved their toughest questions for those challenging the administration's actions. Chief Justice John Roberts, the pivotal member of the court right now, gave no indication that he found the Trump administration's actions troublesome or unusual. But questioning at oral arguments is not always predictive. And the decision in this case may not come until next June. The Trump administration first moved to scuttle DACA in 2017. Jeff Sessions, then the attorney general, said the program couldn't be defended. And he based his decision on a ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which said that another Obama program that protected undocumented immigrants was beyond the president's powers. Now, the Supreme Court deadlocked four to four in 2016 when considering that issue. What's changed since 2016? Well, Trump has installed two justices on the court, and both of them sounded very ready to get rid of DACA. Brett Kavanaugh noted during yesterday's oral arguments that there are, quote, sound reasons to rescind the policy. Neil Gorsuch went further. He wondered whether courts have any role in reviewing the judgments of the attorney general and Homeland Security secretary. Number three. At least seven people were killed, including five children, and 10 others were wounded when a car bomb exploded this morning near the Kabul airport in Afghanistan. The target of the blast appeared to be an armored vehicle belonging to a Canadian security company. At least four of the wounded were foreigners. The death toll looks like it's going to rise. This is the first large bombing in the Afghan capital uh, after about a month of relative calm. It came a day after President Ashraf Ghani said he will release three high-profile Taliban commanders from prison. That's a major concession. He hopes it will jumpstart talks and lead to the release of hostages, including two foreigners, an American and an Australian who were kidnapped by the Taliban in 2016. There are other troubling reminders this morning that the world really is a tinderbox and it's on fire. Hong Kong is paralyzed for a third consecutive day, a night after chaotic battles in the streets between riot police and students left the campus of the Chinese university resembling a combat zone. A cross-border battle between the Israeli army and militants in the Gaza Strip has resumed this morning with a second day of attacks sparked by the Israelis' decapitation strike on a leader of the group Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Chile has just entered its 26th straight day of protests, but today there's a national strike with huge demonstrations. It's paralyzed the country. Everything's shut down. In Bolivia, the Senate leader, has just declared herself the interim president after Evo Morales was deposed. Morales has fled to Mexico, where he's received asylum. And severe flooding in Venice has left much of that city underwater. The mayor says it's a direct result of climate change, and he warns that this is the beginning of a new era of devastating floods. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, November 13th. Before I sign off, though, let me add one piece of good news. Jimmy Carter's medical team says he's recovering well from his surgery yesterday to relieve pressure on his brain caused by a subdural hematoma. That's a collection of blood outside the brain. The doctors say there are no complications. The former president will remain in the hospital for observations as long as it is advisable. But his staff says he's resting comfortably and Rosalind is at his side. I'm James Holman. Thanks for listening. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow.